Okay, Beruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are class number 17. We've been specifically studying the subject of Hesed, as that very much leads to Simha as we explained before. Today is going to be, I think, the last class on the subject of Hesed. The Gemara says in Masechet Yevamot that Am Yisrael has three identifying traits, three things that they're very good at. One is, they are Rahmanim. Rahmanim means they're compassionate. The second one is Baishanim, which means that they are bashful. And the third one, Gomle Hasadim, they are kind. Let's review. Compassionate, bashful, kind. If you notice the order, there seems to be something not right in the way these three are written. Compassion is shown from one person to another. Kindness is done one person to another. Bashful, to be bashful, to be bashful, That's not something you do for somebody else. That's a trait about yourself. So if you had the order properly, it would discuss compassion and then kindness and then bashful. Why? is Busha placed in the middle of those two? I saw a beautiful answer that Rabbi Krohn writes in his book and he says, perhaps that the message is for all of us when we're showing somebody compassion, when we're doing kindness for another person, we should remember it's fine, don't worry, it's fine, just leave it. Leave it, it's fine, leave it, I don't need it. 
Thank you. We should be mindful that we're dealing with a person who has busha. When you're helping somebody, you have to remember that somebody has busha. When you're giving someone rahmanut, remember the person has busha. Which means that when we help people, it's not only about the thing that they're lacking that we need to give them. The job becomes much more difficult that even while we're helping them and giving them what they need, we have to be mindful of this busha that they have. That they might be embarrassed. Today we'll explain that this is not a side point. Which means it's not, oh, help somebody, but just make sure you don't embarrass them. We're going to see soon that when it comes to helping somebody, it means you're helping them because they're missing something. So you got to give it to them. But there's nothing more that a person is missing than their kavod, their honor, and their self-respect. So in essence, helping somebody while embarrassing them or making them feel small or low, it's like filling up one jug for something that they need, but taking away something else that they have. It's like an exchange of some sort. And it's not even an equal exchange. Because there's nothing more important to a person than his self-respect, than the kavod that they feel for themselves. Again we go to the parasha of Hesed in the Torah. The parasha of Avraham Avinu. Probably every class in this series we went back to that class. And every time we go back there, there's something else that we're learning from it. It's quite interesting. The parasha begins as parashat Vayera. It begins with the word Vayera Elav. Elav means to him. Hashem appeared to him. There is no mention in the parasha who is him. doesn't say. I guess we're supposed to know who it is. Of course, it's Abraham. And then it says, Vehu Yoshev Peta HaOhel. And he is sitting by the opening of the tent. Again, the word he does not say his name. And he raised his eyes and he saw. No mention of this person. What is his name? And he saw. And he ran. And he bowed. And he said. Now this is not so abnormal. It's very normal when you read a book. That when the character is known. You don't have to keep saying the name every time. 
doesn't have to say, and he appeared to Abraham, and Abraham was sitting, and Abraham saw, and Abraham ran. You don't need to say that. By saying the word he, it's obvious who we're talking about. That's normal writing. But then, in the middle of the story, the Pasuk says, Vaimaher Avraham ha'ohela el Sarah. Avraham, he rushed. He ran to Sarah to tell her, let's go. We have work to do. Next Pasuk. Ve'el habakar ratz Avraham. Avraham rushes. He runs to the cattle. Again, it says his name. Now, this is weird. Because if we know the character, then we never have to mention him. And if we don't know who it is, you're supposed to mention him in the beginning when you start the story, not in the middle of the story. You don't start the story with him and he and then later on tell us, oh, by the way, this is his name. That doesn't seem to be an appropriate way of writing. Why does the Torah write it this way? Why does Avraham Avinu remain anonymous in the first five Pesukim of the parasha? And then later on, it becomes revealed that this is Avraham. I saw a beautiful explanation that Avraham Avinu not only was a man of kindness, but he was a man who was very much in touch with people's feelings. You know, when someone does you a favor, automatically there's a level of busha. If the person knows you, it's greater. If you know them, it's greater. If there's someone close to you, it's greater. If the person who's helping you is a great person, a very, very wealthy, powerful person, and he's coming to help you, you feel even a greater level of busha. This person is coming to help me. Now remember, Abraham Avinu was a prince of the time. Not only because he was our great-grandfather, but Abraham Avinu was recognized as a prince, Nesi Elohim. That's what Ephron called Abraham. Abraham was a very wealthy man. Abraham was a very powerful man. He single-handedly, with his few people, won a world war. He saved countries from disaster. Abraham was not an unknown. He was a very well-known, wealthy, powerful man. Besides, he was a great teacher. Besides, he ran a great empire of, of Hesed and Torah. Avraham Avinu understood that if the person who's being helped realizes that it's Avraham that's helping him, it would be more embarrassing to them. So he needed to help them. But as much as he could in his actions, in his words, in his behavior, he stayed anonymous. As if he was 
a regular person and he saw and he ran and he did. There was nothing special about Abraham. He made sure not to remind the person through again, his actions or through his words that, you know, you know who I am. You know, this is what I do. I'm this, I'm that. He tried to keep anonymous as much as possible. So why then mention his name later? The answer is later, he was talking to his wife. He was talking to the people that were supposed to help him. There, Abraham steps up. When you want people to help, you have to be an example for them. They're looking at Abraham, the prince of the time. What's he doing? He's running to help somebody. Oh, if Abraham is going to help somebody, I better run too. So Abraham knew how to use his greatness and how to hide his greatness. When he needed to hide it, he did as best as he can not to embarrass the person. When he needed to show it to help people that they too should be doing the same, he used the name, he used the power that Hashem gave him. So you see when Abraham does chesed, he's not just thinking about the person's food or the bed that he's going to give them. He's thinking the whole time about their feelings. Because more than anything else that a person needs from you is the feelings that you're going to give them. So to help them and give them bad feelings at the same time is counterproductive. I'm going to share with you a beautiful story. A story told by a man who was shopping for toys in a toy store wanted to buy some toys for his children for Hanukkah. And in this store, he witnessed this big store. He was walking down the aisles and he witnessed a girl who was there with her father. And the girl picks up a doll that she obviously likes and she says to her father, Dad, you think I can buy this? Is this too expensive? Father says, no, don't worry. Go for it. It's fine. She walks down more and she sees another doll. And he says, Dad, can I get this too? Father says, sure, honey, no problem. Take it. And this man's watching. And as he's watching the girl with her father, he notices a boy with his father. And the boy picks up this beautiful car, the remote control car. And he says, Dad, can I get the car? And the father turns to his son and says, come on, you know we can't afford that. I'm sorry, we can't get that. Please, Dad, I would love this car. It would be like the best gift. He tells him, honey, I can't get you the car. There's no way. It's way above the price that I can afford. Come, let's go to the sticker section. I'll get you a few stickers. This girl, when she hears this, she tells her father, no, Dad, I don't think I want the second doll anymore. Can I get the electric car? The remote control car? I think I'd like to get that one. You know, kids maybe get jealous sometimes. 
She went, put the doll away, and got the car and put it in her car. And now they go to pay. This man's watching. She pay, her father pays for whatever she got. And the boy with his father is staying, is online too. He's buying his stickers. And after the father pays, this little girl, it's hard to imagine this, but this little girl goes behind the counter with the electric car. Could you imagine that? And she tells something into the person's ears. And they put the car under the counter. And then the boy comes with his father. And all of a sudden, the cashier says, Congratulations! You are customer 100 today. You win, you win an electric car. That's a real story. What's amazing about this story is not so much that she got him a car, but she was aware enough to know that he would be embarrassed or his father maybe even more embarrassed that some little girl bought him a car. So she understood that in that situation, this was the best way to handle it. Nobody likes to feel like they're the subject of your kindness. You know, when you take an etrog, a lulav, that's your mitzvah. When you do nerot shabbat, when you light nerot shabbat, that's your mitzvah. But when it comes to kindness, nobody wants to feel like they're your mitzvah. It's not like matzah. It's not like etrog. It's not like nerot shabbat. Nerot shabbat don't have feelings. Neither an etrog or a lulav. Nobody wants to feel like you're like they're your etrog or they're your lulav. And a person has to think about that. It's a lot to do with this hasad business. People walk around thinking, yeah, of course I'm a Baal hasad. a very kind person. Baruch Hashem, after every class, the last two and a half months, every day we walk down thinking, you know what? We're really not a Baal hasad. And today is the siyum. <laughs> where you walk out and saying, I'm a zero in hasad. Because not only do you have to care about the person, not only do you have to worry about what they need, not, but even as you give them, you could still strike out. Because if you're not aware of their feelings, then you haven't really taken care of them. You could say all you want about what you gave them and what you did for them, but you weren't aware of what else they're looking for, and that's their kavod. Every situation is different. Not always can we do exactly the way we want it to be done to help the person. But are you thinking about it? Are you thinking about the other person's feelings when you're doing a hesed for them? Or are you looking at yourself and you're saying, Whoa, I'm so good. I gave $1,000. I gave $100 to that family. I made them dinner. I gave them a coat. I gave them sneakers. I gave them... Is that what you're thinking about? Or are you thinking about... How are they going to feel when they get that coat from me? Or that dinner from me? What is it that I have to say? 
or maybe I shouldn't say, or maybe I shouldn't be known to them. Or may- Every situation is different. I'm not here to tell you what to do or what to say. The question is, are you thinking about them and their feelings, or are you just in heaven about your own feelings that you're doing something great right now? So that's all that matters. There is probably no greater example that I can share with you on this subject than the famous story in Masechet Ketubot. And even though it's famous, I'm going to repeat it. And there's more to the story or about it that we can share. It's a story of a great man, a great rabbi by the name of Mor Okba. The Gemara reports in Masechet Ketubot, that Mor Okba had this poor man in his neighborhood. And Mor Okba took it upon himself that he is going to help this man. Now Mor Okba knew that if this man would know that the rabbi is helping him, he would be extremely embarrassed. That was the situation. So how is Mor Okba going to help him without the person knowing that it was him? So every day he would sneak at a specific time, whenever I guess he saw was right. And he would take four dollars, four coins, whatever it is, and he would sneak it right under his door. And then he would just run. And this is going on for weeks and months. And the Gemara says that one day, here's this man, every day somebody's dropping off money. He was interested to know who is this person that's taking care of me? So he decided he's going to wait by the door. And when he hears somebody inching up to come, he's going to open the door and see who it is. The Gemara reports that one day Mor Okva was late in the Bet Midrash. He didn't come home the time he usually does. So his wife went to the Bet Midrash to get him. Now they're walking back home together. And he remembers, wait, tells his wife, I have to do something. I got to drop off the money by this guy. He goes, he drops the money. The guy is waiting for him. Mor Okva hears the door starting to open. He tells his wife, let's go. And they're running. And the guy behind them, he's also running. He's running. They're running. He's running. They have nowhere to go. The Gemara says they found one escape. That if they would run into it, the guy won't realize and he'll never see them. Only problem is the escape was very hot oven. So it says that Mor Okva and his wife, Aile Lehahu Atuna. That was burning hot. Him and his wife, they ran into the oven. The Gemara says, this is good news for ladies, listen to this one. The Gemara says that more Okva's feet, they got a little burnt, but his wife's feet, nothing happened to them. The great woman. He got very hurt. You see, you see what they're thinking, these people? Okay, they're in an oven, okay? He's very hurt. He's saying, 
Why did I get burnt? And my wife didn't get burnt. Not as a complaint to his wife. He was, I didn't understand. He felt bad that he wasn't really as good as he thought maybe that he was. So his wife, a good wife, told him, she told him, I'll tell you the difference between me and you. You know why I didn't get hurt? Because when I do hesed, it's direct. Guests come to our home, I give them food. They eat on the spot. It's direct kindness. He says, yo, you have to give them money till they go buy something. Till they... It's not as direct. That's why my hesed is a little greater. Fine, that's not our point right now. Anyway, the Gemara says, from this story, it brings a proof to a subject that's brought in a number of places in Shaz. Listen to these words. Noah lo adam. Noah means it's better, it's more comfortable for a person. That he throws himself in a burning furnace. And not embarrass another person. Better to jump into a fire and not embarrass somebody. We see that in Mor Okva and his wife. They literally jumped into a hot oven because they don't want to embarrass the guy. Now this is an unbelievable story. Because in this situation, this is not like the classic case of embarrassing somebody. This is a, first of all, he wouldn't have done anything. The guy's running after him. Besides, he's helping him. But yet, embarrassing somebody has no cover-up. You can't say, well, I embarrassed him, but I helped him. It doesn't work like that. You see, even if you're helping somebody, the guy's running after you. It's his problem. Why does he want to get embarrassed? At the end of the day, if you had a hand in that, it's a problem. You have to be careful not to hurt another person's feelings. What's interesting is the wording of the Gemara. Usually the Gemara's words, when it tells you not to do something, it says, Asur. It's forbidden to do this. Or you have to do that. For example, here it should say, Hayav Adam, a person is obligated to jump into a furnace than to embarrass somebody. Why does it say the word Noah? Noah means it's more proper, more comfortable, more easy. The level Yahu says that over here we're not talking about halakha. Halakha is a different subject. Should a person give up their life before they embarrass somebody? By the way, that's a real halachic subject. That's a real subject. There are many poskim that say that a person should give up their life before they embarrass somebody publicly. Literally. They have to die. You can't do it. But that's not the... Says the level Yahu, this is not a halachic issue right now. What the Gemara is saying is that it's better for you. You'll suffer less when you jump into a fire than embarrassing another person. 
he compares it. Imagine you have two places to walk. This should never be a real question. Imagine you have two places to walk, two hallways. One has fire and the other one has fire. One has a big fire, one has a little fire. Now you'd rather not walk through fires. But if you had that choice, you're going to the one with the smaller fire. Says the level Yahu, that's what the Gemara means. Embarrassing another person is a huge fire that burns the person who's doing it. It's better, it's less problematic for you to jump into a furnace than to go into the fire of embarrassing another person. It's a law of nature. When someone gets embarrassed by you, it's a law of nature that you're causing damage to yourself. Nobody wants the results that happen from that law. The law of nature says you embarrass somebody, that you have done something very damaging to yourself. I'll give you a story that brings this point out and make it up. The Gemaran Ketuvot said a very interesting story. It's something we can't relate to so much today, but we can relate to parts of it. In those days, people used to actually go away to learn. You know how people go away on business trips today? They go for a day, they go for a week, they go for a month. Sometimes, years before this, people would go away for three, four months at a time to the Orient. It's normal. They left their families, they left their wives. So in those times, people actually went away to learn. I don't know exactly for how long. They went to learn Torah. They were married and they would go away to learn. The Gemara says that Rav Rehume was away learning by the yeshiva of Rava. Now he would always come home, always. He would come home Erev Yom Kippur. That was the time his wife knew he would be home. The Gemara says that one Erev Kippur, he was involved in something in learning, I don't know what, he was in his shiur. He got dragged out. He didn't end up showing up. His wife was waiting. Now he's coming. Now he's coming. Now he's coming. The Gemara says, Lo Ata. He never came. Halash data, which means she felt bad. You can imagine. The Gemara says one tear fell from her eye. She felt bad. She was waiting for her husband. He never showed up. Now you don't want to know the ending of this story. And I'm not coming to tell you a story that's supposed to scare you. And we're not going to be judged probably like this great man, Rav Rehome. These people are judged on a much higher level than us. But it's good to know what happened, just so we can understand. The Gemara says, Hava yativ be'igra. He was sitting on in the attic. And then, somehow, this, the thing caved in. The floor caved in. And he fell. And he died. Good. That's what happened. Story. Ma'aseh 
his wife felt his wife felt pain because of him and in Shamaim that was too much if we were going to get judged like that by the way there would be nobody alive today it would be a complete massacre so Baruch Hashem they don't judge us like Rav Rehumen But that's not the point. The point is that the damage done when you hurt another person's feelings, even though he didn't do it on purpose, it wasn't done viciously, it was only one tear. But at the end of the day, it's a big deal. It's better to run into a fire than to hurt someone's feelings. But Rav Chaim Shulavitz asked a beautiful question on this story. He says, I don't understand. Who are you punishing? The whole, the whole point. That's what I'm Thank you. So good students. Chaim Shalavit says, what kind of story is this? He is a man because he hurt his wife and she let down one tear so now he's getting punished and what happens to him? He gets killed. So now his wife not just Erev Kippur she lost the Baba. What kind of punishment is that? You're hurting her more. How could that be the right thing to do? Says Rechayim Shalom is an unbelievable Yesod. And I've told you this many times in other ways. There are rules in the physical world. We all know them. Rules are rules. There's the rules of nature. You jump, you're going to fall down. You never stay in the air. But let's say you really wanted to stay in the air. Like really badly. It doesn't matter. Rules of nature. The entire world has so many intricate rules in its nature and they happen the same way every day. The rules of nature never change. There are rules in the spiritual nature as well. And the rules of the spiritual nature is as follows. When you hurt somebody's feelings, then you are going to get hurt. It's a rule. It has not, it's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's the same way if a person would put their hands in a fire. What would you say about a person who puts his hand in a fire and his fire and his hand is burning, melting away? Takes it out and says, I can't believe it. Why are you doing this to me? God, why are you doing this to me? Say, what? God didn't that to you. You put your hand in the fire. That's the nature of fire. The nature of fire burns. The nature of hurting another person's feelings, it burns. No wahlola adam. Better to jump in a furnace than to be in the fire of hurting another person's feelings. It is because of this that we find there are things that we see all the time that we may not realize where they came from. But it came from these sensitivities 
that Hachamim had. For example, the Gemara says, the Mishnah says in Masechet Bikurim. Bikurim, in the time of the Beta Migdash in Eretz Israel, any farmer who has fruits, his first fruits, he must take them to Yerushalayim. He must give them to the Kohen in the Beta Migdash. Everybody's there. And there are certain words that he needs to read from the Torah. The words, by the way, that we read on the night of Pesach by the Haggadah. Arami, Oved, Ami, Avi, Vayered, Mitzrayma. That whole section, he must read it. The Mishnah says, originally, people came to the Beta Migdash, these farmers, they would give the fruits, and they would read. Barishona, kol mi sheyodeya likrot, kore. Whoever knows how to read, he reads. And let's say someone doesn't know how to read. He says, Ama Aretz, he never learned. What happens? What do they do? Makrinoto, they would help him. They would say, okay, repeat after me. Arami, Oved, Avi, Vayered, Mitzrayim. God doesn't know how to read. But he has to read. So they help him. The Gemara says, but then they realized that the person who doesn't know how to read when everybody else is reading is embarrassed. So they decided, they made a new rule that they would read for everybody. If you're the Gadol Ador or you're the biggest Am Haaretz, you would come to the Beit HaMikdash and they would say, repeat after me. Arami, Obed, Avi, Vayered. Why? Not to embarrass the person who doesn't know. Now, maybe it's his fault that he doesn't know, by the way. Could be he didn't learn in school. Maybe it wasn't his fault. But either way, you can't embarrass somebody. Even if they've done something wrong, you can't embarrass them. We have this today, by the way. You ever go to a wedding? And by a wedding, you'll find the rabbi tells the hatan, Okay, hold the ring or the coin and turn to your kala and say, follow me. Hare, at, mekudeshet. By the way, they're like five words, six words. Not, not the hardest thing to have a guy just say it on his own. And many, many people, they know how to say it. Or they can read it from the book. Show them here, read. But we don't do that. Hare, hare. At, at, mekudeshet, mekudeshet. Why? Because imagine if everybody would read it on their own. And then you have once in a while, the hatan doesn't know. All of a sudden people say, what, what happened? Why is the rabbi telling him, hare, hare, at, at, what am I, this guy? It's embarrassing. So today we have all weddings are equal. Where everybody does it the same. Sometimes a person tries to do it himself. I don't know if that's the right thing to do, even if you know how to do it. Just follow. Because this is helping people who don't know. When you go to shul and you see a Sefer Torah being read, notice it's, today it's obvious to us. There's someone called the Baal Koreh. He reads the Torah, and the one who goes up to the Torah just reads quietly along with him. But that's not really the way it's supposed to be done. The way it's supposed to be done is that every person that goes up to read, he's supposed to read himself. And that's the way it used to be done. 
But then again, you have people that went up to the Torah that didn't know how to read. And now they get embarrassed. The first guy read, the second guy read, the third guy read, oh, what happened to this guy? He needs someone to read for him. How embarrassing. They made a rule. From now on, there's a Baal Kore. He reads for everyone. Sometimes people go up to read on their own. So if it's a person that's a Talmud Hacham, or he himself is a known Baal Kore, nobody's going to be embarrassed after they go after him. It's okay. But sometimes a person has to think twice if they should just read because they know it. Because really, even though that's the right thing to do, but there seems to be a takana that we don't want to embarrass people who don't know how to read. Listen to this Gemara. You'd appreciate this. The Gemara says, the Mishnah actually, Masechet Ta'anit says, that there were two days out of the year that were very special days in Am Yisrael where Benot Yisrael, it says, single girls, Yotzot, they would go out, Bekle Lavan Sheulin. I guess it was Shiduchim time. I don't know exactly what the system was, how they did it. But the girls went out in white dresses. I guess white was pretty. But the Gemara says, Bikle Lavan Sheulin. Could you imagine? Which means no girl went out with her own dress. Every girl had to borrow a dress and she could only wear a borrowed dress. All of the girls wore borrowed dresses. Why? Says the Gemara. Madua, why? Shelo lebayesh et mi she'enlo. We can't, we're so far from this, we can't even imagine. Today, if a guy has a dollar fifty, he wants to show he has five thousand. If they have five thousand, they want to show they have five million. It's exact hafuch, exact opposite. You know how many wealthy girls there were in that time that could have afforded the most beautiful clothing? And could have looked nicer, perhaps. And could have been more marketable. You know, when you have a girl for a shiduch, you'll do anything to get her married. Just about. Could you imagine you had the money? She could look top. And they would be known from the way she looks. This is a girl, perhaps, to go after. Based on the looks and based on the money. But yet... An unbelievable thing. They put all that on the side and they made a takana. If today we made this takana, I don't think anyone would listen. That's right. I really don't think so. I don't know if I would listen. But it's an unbelievable thing that's, that they were so in touch with the feelings of each person that they made a takana and they actually followed it. We can make takanot all day long, but who's going to follow them? But they actually follow this. Could you imagine your wealthy daughter going to borrow a dress from your poor neighbor and vice versa? Your poor neighbor is taking your daughter's dress. 
Could you imagine that she would look at her and say, wow, that's a gorgeous dress. That's my dress. What is this? That's how far they went to be sensitive of people's feelings. It sounds like not even an earthly type of existence. But that's how careful one has to be when it comes to people's feelings. The Midrash says, famous, famous halakha, I'm sure most of you have heard it, that when Am Yisrael goes to war, there's a procedure where a Kohen gets up and he makes an announcement to all the people there, all the qualified soldiers, they're going to war, and he makes the following announcements. He says, if there's somebody here that built a home but hasn't yet lived in the home, go home. You're not going to war. If somebody planted a vineyard and he didn't yet enjoy from the vineyard, go home. Someone got engaged but didn't get married yet, he has a girl. He got engaged to her. Are they at Mekudeshet? But he's not married yet. Go home. All these exemptions. And then the, it says in the Pasuk, they said the following. Whoever is afraid, he has rach levav. He's too soft-hearted. You're afraid to go to war? Go home. Now, in this world, this time, if you said that, nobody, nobody staying. <laughs> Who's afraid? By the way, the Gemara says, afraid? How can a Jew be afraid? The Gemara has this question. What? Afraid? What is talking to Gohemia? A Jew is afraid? What kind of Jew are you if you're afraid? How could you be a Jew and be afraid? Don't you have Bittahar and Hashem? you afraid. You can't be afraid. It's not a Jewish thing to be afraid. You're not supposed to be afraid. So they're talking to people who are doing the wrong things. What does that mean they're afraid? It says, well, no, they're not afraid. They're not afraid that Hashem is going to help them. They're afraid because they're afraid of certain averot they might have done. That because of the averot they did, maybe Hashem is not going to help them. They're afraid of the averot they might have done. I think most of you heard of that before. But maybe you don't know the Midrash. The Midrash on this says the follows. Bo'ur says the Midrash, come and see how careful Hashem is with people's feelings. Because of the people who were afraid. Imagine they would just make one announcement. Whoever's afraid, go home. Whoever goes home, it's embarrassing. This guy, he's a wimp. He's going home. Or the guy's a, he's a, he's a bal averot. It's embarrassing to go home because you're afraid. What did Hashem do for the guy who's afraid? He made every excuse in the book. He told them, oh, when people see him leaving, they don't know why he left. Maybe he built a house. Maybe he planted a vineyard. Maybe he got engaged. People have no idea why he's going to protect the person from embarrassment. The Torah says, I'm going to give you more exemptions 
This way you can identify why that person left, what reason he left. In fact, in the Beta Migdash, they have different korbanot. There's a korban ola, which is a person wakes up one morning, decides he wants to bring a sacrifice to God. He wants to show him his hakarata tov. He goes to bring a korban, korban ola. The Torah says, when you bring korban hatat, a person, a different person, he has a sin offering. He made a sin, you got to bring a korban. Says the Torah, where do you slaughter the korban hatat? You know, in the Beta Mikdash, they have a lot of rules. You do this here, you do that there. Says the Torah, you know where you slaughter the korban hatat? Bimkom asher tishhat ha'ola. You slaughter the korban hatat in the same exact place as the place of the korban ola. Why? Says Hana. Hana, the great Hana. He says not to embarrass the person who made a sin. That when he brings his korban, they will not know. Maybe it's for a sin, but maybe it's just a gift that he's coming to give in the Beit HaMikdash. When Moshe Rabbeinu gets his assignment, Hashem tells him, Moshe, he's 80 years old, he's been out of Egypt for over 60 years. He tells him, Moshe, it's time for the Geulah. My people are suffering. It's time for the redemption. You are my man. You go down to Egypt and you lead the show. And you'll take them to Har Sinai. You'll give them the Torah. You are the man. What, a, what an opportunity to be Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem appoints him. What does Moshe answer Hashem? I don't know how you could do this. He tells him, Shelahna beyat tishlah. What does that mean? Send in the hand that you send. Rashi says, Send the messenger that you've been sending till now. Who is that? Aharon. Who is with them in Mitzrayim all these years? Who is the one that they turned to for guidance all these years? Aharon. His brother Aharon. Hashem, it tells Hashem, Moshe, I sorry. I can't take it. I'm sorry. I cannot be the leader. I cannot do this. You send Aharon. Aharon is the leader. I cannot hurt his feelings. Could you imagine? Aharon is suffering with them for 60, 70 years. He's the one invested in them. He's the one answering their questions. He's the one making them feel strong and better. And all of a sudden when the Geulah came, when the redemption time comes, comes his brother who's been away for 60 years on the white horse and becomes the leader. How can he do that? Moshe says, Borei Olam, even though, look at this, God commanded him. I don't know how you can tell God no. I, I, I don't know how that works. God says, I want you to go do this. I know I can't do it. What do you mean? I'm telling you to do it. So wait, God tells him, the Jewish people are suffering in Egypt. So every day, every minute counts. What does Moshe say? Sorry, I can't go. That means hurting another person's feelings. Look at this. Is in a way 
even greater than listening to God himself. God says, go. We say, I can't. I can't. I can't do it. And that was perhaps his test to see if he's willing to hurt somebody's feelings. We have to be careful even when we're doing mitzvot. Sometimes we say, well, we're doing a good thing. Okay, well, people get embarrassed. No, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Even when you're doing God's will, you got to be careful not to hurt somebody's feelings. And if you ever wonder, is it really a big deal? Remember Moshe Rabbeinu. He's holding up the Geulah until Hashem tells him, no, don't worry. Aharon is not going to get hurt. When he sees you, he's going to be very happy. And then Moshe went. There's a story I heard from Rabbi Ozeri. That must have happened like 40 years ago. Or maybe even more. With the community men who started to get a little more religious. And at the time, if you were getting more religious and you heard about rabbis, the one rabbi you probably keep hearing about time and time again is Rav Moshe Feinstein Zecher Tzadik Levracha. He was the gadol of this city. He was maybe the gadol ador altogether. He's a great man, lived on the east side, a very short man. Great, great Talmud Hacham. So you kept hearing stories about this Gadol, Moshe Feinstein, Moshe Feinstein. So one day, he decided he wants to go see him. So they told him he has a yeshiva on the east side. Go to the yeshiva, they pray shahrit at this time. And you'll go see the rabbi, get a berachah from him. He's very excited, he never saw what it looked like. He went to the yeshiva, he saw, he never saw yeshiva before altogether. He saw all these boys praying, shahrit. He saw these people with beards in the front. And he saw there were men going around collecting. I don't know if you ever saw a minyan in the morning, what it looks like. You have all these people coming around. People who are aniyim, people who need help for their, their families, or they need help for, for their school, whatever it is. They're going around, they're collecting. One dollar, two dollars, fifty cents. He never saw anything like this. What a, what a, what a sight. Young men praying with the people with the beards in the front. And they have 15 guys going around to collect money. And he's watching all this. And he remembered where he's going to see Moshe Feinstein. But he doesn't, who's our Moshe Feinstein? Which one, they all, who is he? So he asked somebody over there, he says, by the way, who is our Moshe Feinstein? Is he here? He told him, Moshe Feinstein? He says, you see that little man over there? Right there? That's, he's, that's a Moshe Feinstein. He says, yes. The guy starts, he starts shaking. He said, what happened? What's wrong? He says, you know what happened to me? He says, five minutes ago, that man reached out his hand and I gave him a dollar. And he looked at me and said, thank you so much. And put it in his pocket. He says, now I realize he was coming to say, Shalom Aleichem. How embarrassing. 
but he took the dollar. Me and you would have said, no, no, no. What are you crazy? If someone right now gave you a dollar, what would you say? He's like, what, are you not? What, you, you think? What? I look like, what? Maybe you're in this class and maybe you would think twice about it. But a regular situation like that? That guy give me a dollar. The man on the spot took the dollar and said, thank you so much, I appreciate it. That means he was aware of this human feeling every second. You never can take a break from thinking about other people's feelings. He took the dollar. Don't make the guy feel bad. I must share with you this Gemara. It's a life-changing Gemara for many reasons. The Gemara says that if you give a peruta, you give charity to an ani, you get six berachot. God blesses you with six blessings, whatever they are. And the one who makes him feel good gets 11 blessings. So again, let's re- let's do the math. One more time. The one who gives charity, six berachot. The one who gives him good feelings, 11 berachot. Now the question here is like this. Here's the question. When you learn this Gemara, it's not so clear. When they say 11, do they mean a total of 11? Which means you get six for charity, Plus five, total 11. Or did they mean that you get 11 just for making him feel good? And six for the charity, which is totaling 17. What does the Gemara mean? It's not so clear. It says you give him money, you get six. And you make him feel good, you get 11. Is that 11 with the six or 11 separate? Now listen to this. Tosfot says it's 17. Don't, it's not a, it's not 11 total. It's 17 total. It's 11 for making him feel good for the words and six for the charity. But Tosfo doesn't explain who told them this. How did they know that? There's a Gemara in Masechet Baba Metziah. This Gemara really is, is much more shocking than what you're going to hear from me right now. You're not going to be so shocked, but I'm going to shock you in a few minutes. When you read the Gemara, it's like this. Gadol onaat devarim meonaat mamon. Which means that if you hurt someone financially, it's very bad. You steal from somebody, you damage somebody. But it's not as bad as when you damage them with your words. Not like the American... Mindset that uh, words don't bother me. Words, I don't care. It's fine. It's not like that. The Gemara says that gadol onaat devarim. When you hurt someone with your words, it's worse than if you hurt them monetarily. Says the Gemara. Why? Because when you hurt someone monetarily, ze nitan leheshavon. You could return it. You could pay him back. Veze, 
But words, lo nitan leheshabon, the damage you can't return. From the words you can't return, it sounds like you stole something from the guy. What is there to return? It's words. What did you steal from him? That the Gemara says, oh, this one you can't give back. Give what back? Give back his kavod. Give back his self-worth, his honor. Now let me explain to you. So now you heard the Gemara. Okay, I see you're not so shocked. You all, you're all sitting there comfortably. Okay, good. It's, it's worse to damage someone with your mouth than with his money. Okay, now let me, let me give you a mashal. What does this mean? You ready? Here's a mashal. You have in your neighborhood a store. The owner of this store is the biggest crook on the market. The guy will take all your money and give you nothing if he could. Any opportunity to take something, if it's giving you the wrong change back or no change at all, if it's bumping up the price, if it's charging you for something that's not even, that's supposed to be included, he'll do anything to make a dollar. The guy is the biggest con artist in the industry. You walk in there, you don't know if you're going to end up with anything left. It's known. The guy is a crook. But, but, one thing about him, he's the sweetest human being on the planet. No, no, you come in there and like, he makes you feel like you're Esther Amalka. Like, he makes you feel special, beautiful, kind. He makes you feel literally like a melech. The guy is the most beautiful guy. Behmed is beautiful. Not for the money. He happens to be a beautiful person. He's just a crook. That's it. Okay? That's, that's one guy. Okay? Now, you have his neighbor. Also has a store. The guy is the most honest. Yashar. You don't have to worry. You can leave your money and your pocketbook and your wallet out with $1,000. You don't have to worry about a dollar. Nothing. Guy is perfect. He'll give money back even if he doesn't have to. Because he's so honest. He's very honest businessman. But one thing about him, he's got a mouth, this guy. <laughs> he come in there and he just starts shooting his mouth. And he'll say things about you. What are you wearing? What is that? It's disgusting. What are you, what are, what? And he'll just, he'll just say anything. The guy's got the biggest mouth. But a very honest businessman. I think in today's world, we would say, which store is a more appropriate store? The guy's honest. Okay, he has a mouth. You're right, he has a mouth. But this guy's honest. That guy, the biggest crook. In the Torah's eyes, the guy with the mouth and he's yashar financially is worse. He's the behemah. Because even though he's stealing money, he's very good with money. But the way you talk to people. Now, that didn't hit home so much. I'm going to tell you another one. <laughs> tell you another one. Okay. 
You have a woman who's married and she's saving up to buy a house. Her husband doesn't care about owning a house. He wants to rent for the rest of his life. But she wants to buy a house and he doesn't want to buy a house. So you know what she decides to do? She's going to work and she's going to save up all the money if it takes 10, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, and they're going to buy a house with that money. So she works every single day, morning till night, on top of family, children, cooking. She's doing it all. Superwoman. It's not so easy to do that. But she's doing it because she needs to buy a house. So she's working day and night. It's 20, 30, 40 years already. Finally, she has saved up like this big box. Only cash, all cash. She's got a box, a million dollars worth, okay? All hard-earned money. You know, 40 years of sacrifice. Her loving husband sees the cash. Listen, he likes money. He takes all the money. <laughs> this didn't happen. I'm just saying. <laughs> I see some crying. It never happened. Hold on. It's a made-up story. But imagine it happened. It is horrible. He takes the money. He goes to Atlantic City. That's right. Zero. Gone. Okay? 40 years of work out the window. She comes home. Where's the money? Oh, well, uh, I know how to say this to you. I was trying to invest it. That's one husband that, that hopefully you don't have. <laughs> the other husband is Yashar. Never, God forbid, take a dollar from his wife. Right? Never. But his mouth, he's a real behemoth. And he'll say some very very hurtful words. The Gemara is saying that guy number two is worse than guy number one. Even though in our eyes, guy number one, I can't believe it. What's he doing? No. You hurt someone with your mouth, you take their kavod, you make them feel bad. You make them feel low. You make them feel worthless. That's a greater damage than taking their money. Gadol me'ona'at mamon. With this, we could understand the Gemara. Had a Tosfot know that it's 17, not 11? Because if it would be 11, so what would happen? If it would be 11, that means you get six for the charity. 
And how many for the words? Five. That means words are less than the money, but that can't be. Because if words are more damaging than money, then also on the good side, words are much more powerful than money. It's greater to give someone your words than it is to give your money. Now, let me tell you something about this kind of hesed. When it comes to hesed, sometimes we feel helpless. Because we feel like, I don't know who needs, like who needs me right now? I don't know who needs money right now. Who could use my help right now? I don't know. Sometimes we feel helpless, not because we don't want to do, but we don't know who to help. And sometimes it's hard to do hasad because it costs money, it costs time, it costs effort. But let me tell you something about this kind of hasad, which is the greatest hasad. Today we're getting involved in the greatest hasad of all. And that's the hasad of someone who needs kavod. This hasad, its beauty is that you don't need money to give it. You don't need really much time. You don't need a lot of sweat. It's not that kind, it's not that kind of hesed. And you don't have to look for customers. You know why? Because every human that you meet every day is a customer. Because everybody in this room and everyone that you meet is hungry for respect. Everybody's hungry for someone making them feel special. There is nobody that you know that doesn't need hizuk. Nobody. Not your little son or your older daughter or your neighbor or your husband or your wife or your mother or your grandma or your grandson. Nobody. There's nobody. This has nothing to do with being an ani or ashir. You could have the wealthiest men in the world and they're very, very much needy of someone recognizing them. In fact, usually it's that way. The more wealthy a person is sometimes, the more lonely they are. They have very little people around them that they could trust. And they need hizuk. This is for all people. Rabbis, businessmen, teachers, children, old men, old ladies, married, not married. It makes no difference. Everyone that you see, every person that you see, you're looking where you could do chesed. We think to do chesed, you have to open up an organization. 501c, you got to have tax deduction and you got to start collecting checks and you got to have drives and shuls and you have to start giving out millions of dollars. This is a terrible mistake. The greatest chesed that you can do for another person is right there in front of you. It's the person you're looking at right at this moment. And don't say, I can't, I don't have. You have. You have words, you could talk. Baruch Hashem, if you could talk. And maybe even those who can't talk could still do it. Maybe you could write. It's so easy to do. And it's so relevant to everybody. The Gemara says that when Moshe Rabbeinu went to Shamaim to get the Torah, I don't know what this means in depth, but I'll just tell you what it says. He saw that Hashem 
was tying crowns around the letters of the Sefer Torah. I don't know what that means. That's what it says. He saw Hashem tying crowns around the letters of the Sefer Torah. So Moshe Rabbeinu walks in and sees this. He keeps quiet. Hashem tells him, Moshe, there's a problem with him. En shalom be'ircha. Moshe, what kind of guy are you? Where do you come from? In your city, they don't wish shalom upon the person that they meet. Now, by the way, in Judaism, we don't say hello to people. I mean, you could say hello. It's not an avera. But the word hello means, hi, I'm here. Hi, hello. That's what it means. In Hebrew or in Torah, we say shalom. Shalom means I bless you that you should have shalom in your life because there's nothing more beautiful and important than shalom. Shalom in your family, shalom in your mind. When we greet someone, we don't say hi. We say shalom. Shalom is a bracha. Shalom is a blessing onto the person. You're blessing every person that you see. It's good to get trained to say shalom. Shalom alechem. Shalom alech. Shalom alecha. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Where you come from, they don't uh, bless someone with shalom when they greet him. Moshe is shocked. He can't believe what he just heard. He tells Hashem, Klum yesh shalom I'm going to bless you, God. I'm going to bless you that you should have shalom. What, what, what are you talking about? How can I bless you? What does that mean? Yes, of course, where I come from, they say shalom. But not to God. They don't say shalom. Amarlo, Hashem tells him, Haya lecha leozreni. What do you mean? You should have helped me. Moshe, you should have helped me. So Rashi says, helped? How, how could Moshe help him? What, what is he supposed to do? Rashi says, Lomar, you should have said, you should have prayed. Titzlah melachtecha. Give me chizuk. That you should be matzliah. Here you're tying the crowns around the letters. You should be matzliah. Give the guy beracha, hatzlaha. And our rabbis ask, what kind of story is this? God needs help. God needs Moshe's blessing. He needs Moshe's wishes of hatzlaha. How could that be? The Benish Hai says, Allah shalom, and others, that of course God doesn't need Moshe. But God volunteered. Because he wants to tell Moshe and all of us, the next time you meet a person and you say, oh, that guy, that lady doesn't need my help. They're on top of the world. They're good. They, they have everything. What they, my, my blessings. My good word. What, what For what? Oh, he's a big rabbi. He doesn't need anything. That's a great woman. She doesn't need me. The next time you have a doubt that the person that you're standing opposite from needs your hizuk, 
and needs your bracha and needs your help. Remember this story. Hashem says, remember, me, I need help. And there's nobody greater than me. So there's nobody in this world that doesn't need your good word. Your children come home from school. If you're zocheh to have children, they need a lot of hizuk. Believe me, they need a lot of good words. Maybe they're not going to understand what the word shalom means. They're not going to appreciate that beracha, but they need it in their own language. They need to be given strength that they're important, that they're special, that they look great, that they're doing great. Everybody needs that. Everybody, the youngest to the oldest, the simplest to the greatest, everybody needs it. Your husband needs it. Your wife needs it. Your grandma needs it. Everybody needs it. Every person. It's so easy to do. You know what happens when things are easy to do? The Gemara says that when you have something that's hard to do and you don't do it, so in Shamayim they have a claim on you. Why don't you do it? You had money. How come you didn't give? Ah, you know, God, it's so hard to give money. To let go of the money that I made, I worked so hard for it, you know, to give my to give 10%, 20%. Very hard. Okay. In Shamayim, they take that into account. It is hard. But when something is easy, what are you gonna say? Why don't you give this person a warm hello? Why? Why don't you give this person a nice word of hizuk? Why? What are you gonna say? Why? I can't talk. What, what am I taking anything from you? Nothing. When things are easy, we're held much more accountable. And this is something that we could do, like I said, every single day to every single person. It's a matter of training. How valuable is what you're giving this person? The Gemara says, Tov hamalbin shinaim lahavero mimashkehu halab. When you give somebody a smile, a warm smile, it's greater than giving them milk. Why milk? What does milk have to do with anything? Milk is nutritious. Milk, when they give a child milk, it gives them nutrition. It gives them all types of antibodies. It gives them all types of things that he needs. Yet the Gemara says, but when you give him a smile, you give a child a smile, it's greater than milk. It's more nutritious than milk. I'm going to leave you with a Gemara. Actually, it's a Midrash. I'm going to tell you a nice story. It's a little, really a nice story. About the great Rav <clears throat> Zanenfeld. He was the Rav of Yerushalayim. In the last generation. Rav Zanenfeld had a home in Yerushalayim. And very, very many people would visit the Rabbi. Especially Hola Moed. Hola Moed. It's like a thoroughfare. People going in and out. He's the rabbi of the city. Everyone's going in to greet him, to say hello. And of course the rabbi is there to greet them. All of a sudden, some rabbi walks in. And they see that when the rabbi was there, Rav Zunnenfeld is acting very strange. 
All of a sudden, each guy that walks into his house, he says to him, oh, oh wow, you must be going to the Kotel. Okay, Hatzlaha. Another guy walks in and says, oh, you must be coming from the Kotel. How was it? Each guy, he tells him either he's coming to the Kotel or going to the Kotel. Very weird, never says that. At night, when they were alone, somebody asked him, Rabbi, what were you doing? What happened there in the afternoon? For a half hour, each guy that walked in, you kept telling him, oh, you're going to the Kotel. Oh, you came back from the Kotel. What was that all about? You never do that. He says, you know, this rabbi came into my home. I don't know how many visitors he gets on Holomoy. I'm not sure. But I was afraid that he would look and see all these people coming to my house and he would feel bad that he doesn't get that many visitors. So I tried to figure out a way where he won't feel so bad. So I kept saying, oh, you're going to the Kotel. Of course, I'm on the way to the Kotel. Everyone's coming to my house. If your house is by the Kotel, you get a lot of visitors. You're going to the Kotel. You're coming from the Kotel. It's an unbelievable thing. This is a person who's thinking how he can give hizuk and kol sheken not to hurt somebody. I was telling the, the, the Midrash says that when a person is going to go after 120 to Shamayim, they're going to have a few questions for him. One of the questions they're going to ask him is, Vehimlachtat havercha. Did you crown your friend? Did you f- make your friend a melech, a king? Now most people when they read this say, what? I'm going to make my friend a king. First of all, maybe he should make me a king. Why, why, why I should make him a king? Well, why is he better than me? Number one. And second of all, what, what ability do I have to make someone the king? I am not a king myself. They're going to ask every person, every person, did you make your friend a king? How can I make my friend a king? But you see, it's a question they ask. And the answer to my question is that when a king comes into your home, if a very important person came to your home, if the president of the United came into your home, oh, you would be all types of smiles. You would be bowing. You would be making thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming here. We really appreciate your visit. You don't know how much we appreciate this. You were preparing something special. When a melech comes to your house or is walking next to you, you don't walk the same like anybody else is walking. And you treat that person like a melech. Our obligation to each person, as crazy, as difficult as this might sound, and it needs training, but it's beautiful, and you can't be a Baal Hesed without it. Because it's the easiest Hesed, it's the most relevant Hesed, and it's the most impactful Hesed. That each person that you see in your life, you figure out a way to treat them as if they were the Melech. Whether it's the way you smile to them, the way you greet them, the excitement of the word that you say. Everybody loves to be the melech. I say many times, people walk into our homes all the time. Our siblings, our children, our parents, they walk in the door, you're sitting on the couch. Yeah. Oh, hi, hi. 
That's, that's what we do. When we're very familiar, especially with people. When we're very familiar, it says, it says, Every person, call Adam. Every person, you should have a special face. You don't have to smile all day, but you have to show a face that shows that you look at that guy as a melech. What's call Adam? I once explained to you. What does it mean, call Adam? Every person. Every person means even the people close to you. Even the people who you see every day. The people you work with. The people that you live with. Those people, sometimes they're forgotten. But you have to remember, someone walks into your house, even the closest person, you go greet them. You go greet your son. You go greet your daughter. You go greet your wife. You go greet your husband. Get up and greet them. Wouldn't you do that to Melech? You know how good someone feels when you come to the door and greet them? You know how of a feeling of kavod that you give that person? It's right there in front of us all day, every day. By greeting people, by laughing at their jokes, even if they're stupid. <laughs> you have to think about that. It's a serious item. Yes. You ever see a guy make a joke and it's not funny? So you say, ha ha, it's not funny. But the guy feels like a zero. This is serious. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be funny. The guy makes a joke, laugh. Laugh till you're crying from laughter. A person, you're in a class, somebody asks a nice question. Like boys, it's much more relevant. Maybe even small girls' classes. Sometimes you have a boy in the middle of class, like 20 boys. Somebody asks the question. The guy, is, he's beaming, beaming. He asked the best question. He never asked a question in his life. And then the other boys like, ready, ready. They want to kill the guy. That's a dumb question. Here's the Let the guy enjoy it. He asked a good question. Let him enjoy the question. The guy's telling a story. Listen to the story. Don't say, oh, three quarters of the way through. Oh, I heard that one. Like, the guy is talking for 10 minutes already. It's not so hard, but you have to be aware. By the way, you should know that you're even allowed to lie for this. How's that? You're even allowed to lie in certain situations to make a person feel good. I'll give you an example. The Gemara says, let's say a guy comes home and says, wow, you don't know what I just did today. What'd you do? I found the greatest deal on a car. Where's the car? Outside. How much you pay for it? 65. You go outside, you're kidding. You paid 65 for that? You got ripped off. You could have done it for 50. What, what is the point of that conversation? The Gemara says, even if you got ripped off, tell him, wow. What a deal you got for that car. That's an unbelievable deal. It's done already. The guy can't get his money back. Or if a guy gets married, sees a kala. So he has my kala. Oh, Gorgeous. 
It doesn't matter what she looks like. It, she's gorgeous. Done. How is this guy that I married? Oh, the best. Guy is the best crook in town. But it's too late. You understand? They're married already. The Gemara says, lie. Tell her, she, he's, he's the greatest. She's the greatest. He's the greatest. There's never been a couple like them ever. <laughs> yes, you're allowed to do that. Now, of course, you can't lie too much because then it looks like it's fake. But you have to make it look real. It's the truth. You're allowed to even lie for that. And last and appropriately, the last thing on this class, because we're in Parashat Tetzaveh. This coming week, we're going to read Parashat Tetzaveh. There's something very unique about this Parashat Tetzaveh. Not one time in the entire Parashat is Moshe Rabbeinu's name mentioned. From Shemot till the end of Devarim. Not one Parashat is Moshe missing from the Parashat. This Parashat, there's no Moshe. Doesn't exist. So you might say, okay, big deal. One parasha he wasn't involved in. What's the big deal? But the weird thing about this parasha is that he was very involved. Heavily involved. The entire parasha Tetzaveh. Moshe Rabbeinu is there. Because the parasha is talking about the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol and their clothing. And, and Moshe was orchestrating all of that. Moshe was in charge of making the Kohen Gadol and, and his brother Aaron and training him. He was doing it. And the whole parasha, from the, from the, what's the first word of the parasha? Ve'ata and you. Who's you? Moshe. And look at the whole parasha. Ve'ata, ve'ata tidaber, ve'ata hakrev, asher ta'ase, asher ta'ase. The whole parasha, ve'asita, all Moshe Rabenu, but not once his name. And it's so obvious that there's something here because next week's parasha is parashat kitisa. Guess what the first pasuk in parashat kitisa is? Vaidaber Adonai el Moshe lemor. Right away, Moshe comes back. Why is Moshe not mentioned one time in the parasha? So Hazal say, Hazal tell us, because when Moshe was fighting for Am Yisrael, when Hashem told him, I'm destroying these people after the Egel, that's it. I'm done with them. I'm going to make you the new leader and the new nation is going to come from you. That was Moshe's test. What was he going to do? Say, okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Or fight for them. He fought for them. And he told Hashem, if you destroy them, erase me from your book. I'm out. I don't want to be part of this. So Hazal say, even though Hashem accepted Am Yisrael and never destroyed them. But since the tzaddik said these words, erase me from the book. So it happened a little. He got erased from one parasha. Which parasha? Tetzaveh. Now, Hamavadi Alava Shalom says something beautiful. He says the words, erase me now, please erase me. Misifrecha. Misifrecha is misefer. Which sefer? Which parasha? Misefer chaf. The 20th parasha. The 20th parasha in the Torah is parashat tetzaveh. 
which means that Moshe Rabbeinu requested that if he's going to be erased, let it be from this one. I want to be out of Tetzaveh. Why? Why is he choosing Parashat Tetzaveh? Why does he not want to be mentioned? I would say, don't be mentioned in next week's parasha, where it talks about the Egel. That, don't mention me there. Please, leave my name out of that one. No, that one you can mention me. Don't mention me in Parashat Tetzaveh. What's special about Parashat Tetzaveh? You know what's special about Tetzaveh? Is that Aharon, his brother, was becoming the Kohen Gadol. You know who was supposed to be the Kohen Gadol? Moshe Rabbeinu. You know what happens when somebody's supposed to be something and someone else gets it? He never makes him forget it. Oh yeah. Uh, I was supposed to get that job, but whatever. I, I, I passed to you. Oh, I taught him everything he knows. I gave him the stock options. You know, I, I, you'll never make a guy forget that it was you that made them successful. But Moshe Rabbeinu says, when my brother Aharon is going to be crowned as the Kohen Gadol. Please, Hashem, don't mention my name. I want the spotlight on my brother. I want the whole parasha on Aharon. I want him to be in the limelight. That is a beautiful example of Hesed. Hesed of the highest caliber. To give people the spotlight. To make them feel like they're the one. To make them feel special. To make them feel mechubad. It's in all people. All types of ways that we can do it. And doesn't cost money. This is the greatest hasad that we can do for another person. And you cannot be called a Baal hasad. If you forget that part of the person. You could be giving millions of dollars, but forgetting that you're miscalculating. The person needs something much more than your money. They need your kavod. They need to feel like a melech. They need to feel good about who they are and what they've done. Lift them up with your words. The berachot are much more than when you give them money. Money is good. You can't be Baal Hesed if you can give and you don't. But you can definitely not be a Baal Hesed if you're not giving your words and your hizuk to every person that you see. May Hashem bless you all. Baruch Amen ve'amen. Have a good day.